0: 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll uh, look at verses 6 to 15 today, the last half of this chapter. No one could really have planned in advance where we find ourselves this morning. Obviously, we started our study of Second Corinthians many, many months ago, and we've just taken the next section week after week, just like we do this morning. We take the next chunk to, to talk about it and study it. But this morning, as if we had planned it for weeks... This morning, this Sunday before Thanksgiving and the Great American Harvest Festival, this morning before we have our Thanksgiving dinner and all those wonderful things tonight, this morning we come to a text that talks about harvest, about planting and reaping. I wish I was smart enough to have figured that all out and and coordinated that, where we end up here this morning, but I didn't. I just suddenly realized, whoa, this is interesting. Here we sit. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. <clears throat> Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever s- sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work as it is written he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor his righteousness endures forever now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The theme of this section is quite simple and that is you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. I didn't know much about farming when I moved here 11 years old, uh, 11 years ago, not years old. 11 years ago, and I've learned a little bit by uh, watching uh, what goes on around me, but I think I at least do this much. You reap what you sow. Now, there are a couple different ways we can understand that principle. Uh, It's often used in regard to reaping the same thing that you sow. If you plant corn, don't expect to go and harvest peas. It doesn't work that way. In other places, the Bible uh, uses this saying just to make that point. For it says something like, if you plant sin, you're going to harvest wickedness and destruction. You know, there's no magic to this. You reap what you sow. Well, that's true. uh, uh, That's a valid point. But that's not the point that our text is making this morning, as we'll see a little bit more later. Here we have the other thing that that little saying teaches us. Then you reap what you sow in the sense of reaping in proportion to the amount that you sow. Even a city boy can figure this out. If you plant 20 acres, you're not going to harvest 100. The amount that you harvest is largely determined when you do the planting. Because you reap what you sow. Now that's the focus of these first uh, of, of our first point. We have two points. We'll spend most of our time on the second one. And that is this. Sow generously with a cheerful heart. So generously, you're going to reap generously, right? Sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. So generously with a, with, a, with a cheerful heart. That's the point of verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So generously, you reap generously. It's just that easy. And of course, the seed which the apostle is talking about sowing here is the seed money. Given this context that he's writing here, it's the seed money that's being collected in the offering to be sent to the uh, relief offering to be sent to the Christians in uh, Jerusalem who are struggling and suffering and, and uh, have, have very little of anything. Even here before he begins to talk about any harvest of any kind Paul calls the church to generosity in what it plants what it sows what it gives in the terms of this seed money well of course this invariably raises the question how much how much does God expect me to give many of us are very used to a legal kind of answer Uh, God requires you to give ten percent and so we grit our teeth and dutifully pay our church taxes And uh, our our fair share, and we feel about the same toward it as we feel on April 15th, when we have to pay taxes, and it's just how it is. Oh, I have to do it, it's just pay your taxes, pay your church uh, share, and uh, okay. But that's not the answer that uh, we get in this text. Look at verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So how much... Am I to give? As much as I can give joyfully, with a cheerful heart, without reluctance. That's what it says. Now let me explain the logic of that a little bit. Remember, giving, our giving is a response to God's grace, who's given to us first. Our giving is not a a, a law of work by which we gain some merit to gain God's favor. We pay God off and then He'll like us. giving us a response and since our giving reflects God's giving it should be done in the same way so how did Jesus give his life for us well we read in the book of Hebrews for the joy set before him he went to the cross for us he didn't grudgingly say I hate these people I can't believe what they're doing no for the joy set before him he gave himself so if we're giving in response to that we ought to give with the same kind of joy And then, remember, this is an act of worship. This is not a charitable contribution to the Lord. The Lord doesn't need our charitable contributions. He's not broke. He doesn't need the money. He owns everything. He can have whatever he wants. We're not helping God out. The pagans think that way. They're feeding their gods. If you don't bring food to your gods, maybe he's going to go hungry. No, that's not how the true God is. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it we read. He doesn't need our money he just accepts our worship but if our giving is worship then it must be from the heart because grudging grumbling giving is the opposite of worship there's an old Latin adage that says whatever the heart does not do is not done and that certainly is true in worship if we don't give from the heart keep your money it's not worship so how much should we give Well, how much do you want to give? You decide that in your heart. Give as much as you can give joyfully before you find resentment growing. How genuinely grateful are you to the Lord for all he's done for you? Well, let that gratitude be a guide in your giving. How much do you trust God to meet your own needs? Give in proportion to your faith. How much can you give away and trust him that you still can live? And that may not be what you expected to hear, but that's what the text says. Sow generously with a cheerful heart. That's different than pay your taxes. So it says. So generously with a cheerful heart. And the promise is that we will reap according to how we sow, generously or sparingly. But what exactly will we reap? Well, that brings us to our second point where we're going to spend most of our time, which is that you will reap a harvest of blessing. You will reap a harvest of blessing. As I said at the beginning, the emphasis in our text is on the amount of harvest reflecting the amount of uh, the planting. The point is not that we will reap the same kind of thing that we planted. I don't think that's stretching this uh, sowing and reaping analogy too thin. I look around me here and I see farmers spend a lot of time filling cows with grain and silage and water. And what do they expect in return? More grain? More silage? Oh no, they expect milk in return. It's still true that the more feed, and the more cows, and the better quality, the more milk. But in the dairy business, you don't exactly get back what you put in. You don't exactly reap what you sow, but the proportion is still true. 500 cows produces more milk than 100 cows, right? Well, that's what the point of our text. So generously with a cheerful heart, and you will reap, not the same thing you sowed, but you will reap bountiful blessings from God. Now, Actually, as we look at these verses, starting about verse 8 and down through the end of the chapter, there are at least five different things woven through here that God promises that we will reap. Blessings of His grace that He promises will, will be the, what come back to us, Uh, for our giving. So let me just go through them. Five things. First of all, uh, your own needs will be met. This is a blessing that uh, God uh, promises us. Your own needs will be met. Now we have to be careful here, for there's a trap here that many people have fallen into. You see, God does not speak of our giving in terms of some huge uh, pyramid scheme. You've seen those things, right? You, uh, uh, send a dollar to the person at the top of this list and put your name on the bottom of the list and three weeks later you'll receive a thousand dollars or some kind. And some people talk about uh, a giving like that. You know, you just give and God's going to multiply and you're going to get lots of money back. Now some people may say that but that's not true. The widow who gave her two last pennies she went away without any pennies. She was not rich, she was poor. The churches in, in Macedonia who gave out of their poverty had to figure out how to get their bills paid because they didn't have that money anymore. So let's not kid ourselves. We're not, God is not saying that uh, giving is a gimmick to get more money. If that were true, people would give freely. We all know it's not true. Having said that, having warned against that false interpretation, there still is a promise here that God will meet the needs of his faithful people who honor him and give. Look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Hear all the list of alls there? All grace and all things at all times, all that you need. This is the same promise that God extended to the church at Philippi, one of those poor Macedonian churches that Paul spoke of earlier, where he he writes them about the gifts. He says, the gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then he tags on this promise, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He said, you gave generously. Don't worry about it. God will meet your needs. It's the same thing that the prophet Malachi said in the Old Testament. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines and your fields and will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. You see, the point is, if everything happens by God's providence, then I don't have to fear being faithful. I don't have to fear being generous. To honor him and to serve him and to give to things that matter to him, I can trust him to take care of me. So generously with a cheerful heart. You will reap the harvest of God's providential care. You can't outgive the Lord. Second truth here of the blessings that we reap is that you will reap a harvest of righteousness. This thought is woven throughout verses 8 to 10. Verse 8, it says, you will abound in every good work. Verse 9 says, of the giver, his righteousness endures. Verse uh, 10 says, God, uh, God promises to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Here you see the prosperity which God is most concerned to give us is not financial success, financial prosperity, But success in this process of sanctification, of of Christ's righteousness being worked out and displayed in our lives. Now this does not mean that we can buy God's righteousness in us. That kind of thinking is contrary to the scriptures, like uh, buying indulgences or something, and we get grace back somehow. No, it doesn't work that way. But learning and obedience in regard to our money is a fundamental part of learning to walk in righteousness. So the Apostle Paul is saying, in effect here, you want to grow in the faith? You want to be sanctified? You want to learn to walk in righteousness? Well, here's a practical step in that direction. Learn to cheerfully, generously honor God with your material wealth. Plant the seeds of discipleship here in something as mundane as sending some money to those poor believers in Jerusalem that need your help. And see if righteousness doesn't start to spring up in other parts of your life. Same points made in Galatians 6. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to to please his sinful nature... From that sinful nature will reap destruction but the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life so generously with a with a cheerful heart because this is a way that we begin to reap a a, a harvest of righteousness this is part of our discipleship this is part of our growth in grace and knowing Jesus third blessing of the harvest you will have more seed to sow points made in verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 says, "He who supplies seed to the sower will also supply and increase your store of seed." Then verse 7, "You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. In these verses, God promises that when we have a heart of generosity in our giving, he will enable us to give even more. This is very, the very opposite of that false teaching that says you give to God to, money to God and he'll just make you rich. Oh no, that's not what it says. You give to God all that you can when you wish you could give more and he'll enable you to give more. He'll open more doors. This is what we read in Proverbs 11. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. You see, if you want to give, then begin to do it. You may only have a little, but so generously, and you reap a harvest of increased opportunity. Fourth thing about this harvest of blessing, you will reap a harvest of thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving to God. This is the longest of the descriptions of the harvest of blessing, which God promises uh, us as we give cheerfully, but I think it's the most fascinating. Let me read it again, verse 11 down to 13. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. The point is that the more generously we plant by our giving, the more praise and thanksgiving God will get. In other words, we will reap a harvest of blessing not coming back to us, but coming back to God parents do this for their children sometimes. I know a young lady who, um, whose two grandfathers, when she was born, got together and said, you know, we need to invest some money uh, for this uh, granddaughter of ours uh, so that she can go to college someday. And so they did. And they put together a little portfolio and they invested some money for her. Eighteen years later, when it's time for her to go to college, she went to college. No loans, no scholarships, no part-time jobs. She went to college and uh, studied. And the bills were paid because her grandfathers, who didn't even know if they would be around when the time came, planted so that when the harvest came, she would reap the harvest. Now that's the picture that Paul's setting before us here. He's saying you have the opportunity by your generous giving to plant, not so that you receive something back, but so that God receives something back, namely thanksgiving. When these believers in Corinth gave relief money, To help those poor Christians in Jerusalem, what happened? When that money got to Jerusalem, what would happen? Those people get down on their knees. And thank God for providing what they needed. Not only that, when they heard it came from these Gentiles. You know, the Jews didn't think much of the Gentiles. They call them swine, dogs. When they heard that this help came from... Gentiles that Jesus had changed. They give thanks to God for the gospel that would change these people and make them God's people. God gets double thanksgiving. How important is that to us? Would we give our money to some needy believer who we don't even know, maybe halfway around the world, just for the joy of, Of knowing that when they received that gift, they were going to thank God. And God would hear praise. God's ears would be filled with thanksgiving. We wouldn't hear it. We probably don't even speak their language, they don't even know our name. But God would hear it. And God's worthy of thanksgiving. Why would we do that? Just because we love him. That would be the only reason. Because we believe he's worthy of hearing the praises of his people and it might be in our power to make that happen. That's all. So generously and God will reap a harvest of Thanksgiving. And then fifthly, one rather unexpected blessing You will know the blessing of people praying for you in return. Look at verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. You see, when we give to needy brothers and sisters, not only do they thank God for his blessing. But they realize that they are bonded together with the rest of God's people that they never knew even existed. And if you received a gift like that, what would be your response? You would thank God for meeting your need? But wouldn't you also say, Lord, and bless those people who sent this. I don't know who they are. I don't know what their needs are. But, oh, Lord, meet their needs, would you? Wouldn't you pray that way? Of course you would. And so do the people in Jerusalem. Here the Apostle Paul rejoices in the implications of the unity of the body of Christ, the church. When one part of the body takes care of another part of the body, there's a reminder that we're part of the same body, and the more we remember that, the more the other part will respond in prayer for the one who gave. And most of the time we never know about that. We never hear it. Somebody offers thanksgiving to God. Somebody prays for the one who sent the, the gift. And we're not aware of it except that the Bible holds these kinds of promises before us. But there are times that we know, and I have an experience like that in my own life that I'll just tell you about briefly. For many years I supported an old college friend who, when I went into the Air Force to fly airplanes, he went to Brazil to be a missionary. And I didn't have any money during those early days, and I didn't him very much support, about 20 bucks a month which was kind of a drop in the bucket I sent to his mission. But I remember a while back getting a letter from my friend, the, r- the routine form letter to thank you for your gifts and bring you up to date on what's happening. And penciled on the bottom was a little note, personal note that says, I have a list of people that I pray for all the time and I want you to know your name is on my list for Tuesday. Every Tuesday I pray for you. Wow. Wow. I didn't expect that. Give generously. You never know when you will reap the unexpected blessing of somebody responding in concern for you. Those who sow generously with a cheerful heart will reap a harvest of God's blessing. The principle is that you will reap in proportion to what you sow. But the harvest you reap is not necessarily in kind. God does not say, give money and you'll get lots of money back. Instead, we give money and we reap the many and varied expressions of the goodness and grace of God. So how much of those things does your heart desire? How much of God's promise to supply your need? How much ability to multiply your service to him? How much growth in righteousness? How much praise given to God because of your actions? How much of the love of Christian brothers and sisters coming back to you? How much do you want to reap of that? For you will reap in proportion to what you sow. In cheerful, faithful, uncoerced, full of gratitude, generosity. Well, it puts our money in a whole different light, doesn't it? Here, dollars are like seeds that we've been given. We plant them to grow the kind of harvest we want to grow. You want to harvest pleasure? Haul out your seeds and go plant a party. Right? That's how you get pleasure. That's what you got. You spent your seed, that's the harvest. You want to get richer? Take your seeds and find the best, highest interest account you can find, the best investment. Go invest it, it's where you get more seeds. Okay, then you got it. You're a rich man. Die and leave lots, lots of money to somebody. Want a harvest of education? That's an important thing. You got to spend money, you got to plant some seeds. You gotta pay some college tuition, you gotta buy some books, you gotta think, you gotta go to some seminars, you have to invest something in it. But if we want a treasure that will last forever, praise to our God, the good of his people, the ability to serve him more and more, growth in discipleship, the mutual fellowship and the health of his body, then we must invest our money in the work that God is doing amongst his people. And that's something as simple. As a poor little band of believers that needs help. And we send them some money. All sounds very similar to what Jesus said when he said we should lay up treasures in heaven, doesn't it? Well, this passage ends where it began. Verse 15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Remember where this whole section, chapters 8 and 9, this whole section on giving, remember where it began? Back in chapter 8, we give because Jesus gave himself for us. Our giving proceeds from the fountainhead of God's grace. Our giving is a grace. And that's where we end. God's indescribable gift in Christ. You see, behind all of our stewardship is this one great principle. God gave the first and greatest gift, and all our giving is simply an attempt to respond with appropriate gratitude. That's all. Christmas is coming, and our practice of gift-giving will provide a great illustration of this for someone, maybe you, maybe me. Did you ever at Christmas time give someone a Christmas gift and at the same time they gave you a gift? You know, some friend, they exchange gifts. I don't like that phrase, but you exchange gifts only to learn that when you open the gift that while you spent two bucks to buy something for this friend, they went out and plunked down a hundred bucks and got that sweater that you thought was just the neatest thing around, or whatever. And you go, ah, uh, Wow. Now that's alright because we all have friends who can afford nicer gifts than we can give, and you just have to receive them with grace and give with grace. But it does raise the question of, does he maybe treasure me more than I treasure him? Suppose, for example, you'd received that friend's gifts a week, gift a week earlier, and looked at it and said, wow, what a wonderful gift. Even if you couldn't afford the same gift, wouldn't you have joyfully, cheerfully been as generous as you possibly could be? Because you see, that's what God has done. God gave first. We were hopelessly needy. And God sent his son to save us and reconcile us to himself and to take away our sins and give us eternal life. Now, we can never repay that. Not in a million years, not with a million dollars. We can never repay that. But our gratitude for that ought to control whatever giving we can give. So generously. Generously with a cheerful, grateful heart. And in yet one more expression of God's grace, as we give to him in gratitude, he gives back to us even more, a harvest of blessing, a harvest of goodness. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and all these things that we've studied about giving. Lord, in our very materialistic uh, outlook that we have in our culture, we really need to be retooled to think differently about money and about our wealth. And so we thank you for these things and help us to learn from them and not just to uh, do some little things differently, but to really think differently about what, the things that you've entrusted in our hands and what's important to do. Oh, Lord, help us to see our resources as seeds that we're planting to harvest something, to think about what it is that we want to harvest. And then to cheerfully and gratefully, thankful for the opportunity to give to things that harvest what matters for all eternity. And thank you, Lord, that you blessed us so much that it's even an issue that we can even think about giving to anyone. Lord, we could be poor, needy, and yet most of us have an abundance of things. And we thank you for it. May this kind of thinking change our Thanksgiving season into real Thanksgiving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.